This is Audible. The story I'm about to tell may seem outlandish at times, or even downright far-fetched, depending on your point of view, but this is a true account of a remarkable happening in 19th century Italy. I know because I was there. Some of what I'm about to relate happened to me directly. You'll soon see that I was somewhat at the heart of the matter. Other parts were told to me afterwards by a friend. It's important for me to tell you, first off, that even before this adventure began, I was living in a time that wasn't my own. I don't just mean because I'm one of those women of a certain age feeling that their best years are over, nor am I one of those fantasists who thinks they were born too late. No, in my case, it was quite literally true. You see, several years ago, I was taken away from my home in 1930s Gromer and deposited in a small village in Sussex almost a whole century in the future. That all seems like ancient history ago now, and in the time since, I've done a rather good job at settling in. Or at least I thought I had. It's not everyone who could cope with such a culture shock. I kept my head down and settled into my role as housekeeper to that mysterious traveller in time and space known only as the Doctor. Truth be told, I didn't see him all that often. His visits to Nest Cottage have become fleeting and rather more infrequent in recent years. If I'm honest, the place had become too quiet for my liking. I'd seen to it that everything was spick and span, all the cupboards nicely organised and everything as it should be. There were no monsters lurking in the undergrowth or alien invasions in the offing. None of his strange machines in the cellar had started doing unwarranted things nor had any of his many enemies from space turned up on the doorstep. I would never have admitted it out loud, but I had become a bit fed up and, well, lonely. And then, to cap it all, my nightmares came back. All at once, my sleeping hours were filled with the most insidious, horrible noises, humming and buzzing the endless drone of a million insects swarming and massing inside my mind. Night after night, I screamed myself awake and was glad that the cottage stood alone and detached so none of the neighbours could hear. I'd make a cup of nettle tea and sit up through the early hours, plagued by images from the deepest regions of my mind. Just when I thought about going to see my GP, the, um other doctor turned up. <laughs> doctor Who, The Thing from the Sea by Paul Mars, read by Susan Jameson. I was baking a batch of fruit scones one morning when there suddenly came the familiar wheezing and groaning of the TARDIS as it materialised at the back of Nest Cottage. I ran to the back door. My dear Mrs Wibsey, 
the doctor beamed, grasping me in a bear hug. I was enveloped all at once in his vast burgundy coat and what seemed to be an even longer scarf than usual. It's been eons, hasn't it? I've been shockingly remiss. He went sweeping into the cottage with his usual careless aplomb. I followed in his wake. He sniffed the air and grinned. You knew I was coming, so you're baking a cake. And with that, he made straight for the library. I watched him rove through the bookshelves and thought back to the previous night's troubled dreams. I recalled sitting in this very room, scared to go back to sleep. Several of the precious old tomes lay open on the desk. Have you been reading my books? The doctor asked gently. Oh, um, just browsing, I said. Which was true, wasn't it? I was never a great reader, especially not of queer old books like these. But during my sleepless nights, I had started to come here and pore over the ancient print, almost as if I was looking for something, as if I was looking for old secrets in my dreams. I thought you preferred something a bit lighter, murders and romance, that sort of thing. He bundled together a heap of books, then headed for the door. Shall we be off? Where to? I gasped. A little spin in the TARDIS for old time's sake, eh? I've got a free morning, and you're not doing anything special, are you, Wibbs? Well, there's the baking. We won't be gone very long, he promised. It's just that I think you could do with my help. His eyes were suddenly very serious. I believe you're having some trouble in your dreams, aren't you, my dear? The breath caught in my throat and I found I couldn't speak. And so, turning off the enormous kitchen range and folding my best penny into its drawer, I allowed myself to be led once more towards that battered blue police box. Somewhere nice, I burst out some time later, feeling shocked. The TARDIS had brought us to a fishing village, somewhere along the steep and rocky coastline west of Rome. Porto Ercoli, the doctor said. The surf was crashing and the sun was melting into the horizon. All the little houses on the craggy and rugged shoreline looked inviting, and the doctor's mood seemed mellow for once. Hmm, sometime early in the 1800s, he mused. Shall we go and meet the locals? It was lovely to have the last of the day's sun on our backs as we strolled into the ramshackle town. I felt my workaday cares draining away, and I smiled, listening to the doctor describing what he'd eaten on his last jaunt to Italy. What we need is a little trattoria, he sighed, some rough red table wine. And I imagine the seafood here is spectacular. 
Look at those ships in the harbour. They were returning with the day's catch bound up in bursting, glistening silver nets. Soon we were in the narrow, winding streets of the village where the doctor was surprised to find people less welcoming than he'd expected. Narrow, shifty looks followed their every move. Doors shut abruptly, pale faces watched from dark windows. Strange, he said. What's the matter with them all? I asked. I don't know. We found a small inn at the heart of the village. The main room was pungent with wood smoke and the delicious scents of a spicy broth. A huge boar's leg was turning on a spit above the fire pit and a cauldron of fish soup was bubbling away beside it. This is more like it, grinned the doctor. Landlord, he greeted a small, dark, suspicious-looking man. Thirsty travellers here, ravenous and footsore visitors from afar. What can you offer us? The landlord was peaky-looking, and he seemed like he was about to pass out with exhaustion. Fish stew, he sneezed. Roast pig, <laughs> he coughed nastily. By now, I had noticed the other patrons slumped at the bar and the nearby tables. They were all very pale. Everyone looks half dead in here, I hissed at the doctor. I'm not sure we should touch their food and drink, to be honest. Nonsense, he scoffed. I'm sure everything is delicious. The landlord rallied, presumably hearing the promise of money in our voices. He called to his daughter to serve us, and soon we were sitting at a corner table with green glass goblets of wine, bowls of thick soup, and a plate of rough bread. I poked at the baby octopus legs in my soup and was dubious at the thought of eating them. Don't pull faces, the doctor advised me. I thought you liked foreign food now. Remember Paris, eh? The waitress seemed to be afflicted with the same sickness as everyone else. When she brought us more wine, the doctor asked her, There seems to be a lot of illness about. What's the matter with everyone? The girl was scrawny, and she winced as she moved as if her limbs were aching. It was like she was aging prematurely somehow, becoming rickety and arthritic. We don't know, she said. But everything in recent years has gone wrong for us. Bye-bye, the landlord called warningly. Don't disturb our guests. Interesting, said the doctor. I'm not without a little knowledge in medical areas. I was alarmed. You're not a proper doctor. It's no good, glowered the landlord. We are under a spell. Our entire village is cursed. I'm sure you'll find that there's quite a simple explanation, said the doctor. No, whispered the serving girl. Count Otto is cursed, and so therefore are all the people of this town. Enough! roared her father. Leave these strangers be. Then he eyed us very darkly. I suggest you two leave our town as soon as possible. After supper, we took a walk along the harbour front to watch the stars coming out and the fishing vessels creeping along the horizon. Perhaps we shouldn't linger here if there's sickness in the place, I said. 
The doctor was just about to reply when we were met by the young woman, Ave, from the tavern. She was out of breath as she struggled to catch up with us. Please, I couldn't speak openly back there, she gasped. What is it? asked the doctor, concerned. What I said about the Count is true. You must leave here before he learns about you. He is a great and powerful mystic. All visitors are drawn into his influence. You seem like good people. We are, the doctor said, and we wouldn't dream of leaving you in the power of some dreadful old bully. I suppose he lives in that grand, dilapidated palace on the hillside. I hadn't noticed the palace yet, but I'd come to admire the doctor's observational skills. Sure enough, clinging to the rocky hillside and overlooking the village was a sinister-looking castle. It had narrow, spiny turrets and one enormous, thin tower. I didn't like the look of it at all. It is said that in his youth Count Otto studied in Rome, Ave told us, her breath shuddering. The legend is that he studied the dark arts under the tutelage of the famed mystic Cagliostro, the great and world-famous sage. The doctor scoffed. World-famous sage and onions. He was a humbug. Just like all self-proclaimed sorcerers and magicians down the ages, they tell terrible lies about themselves, Ave, simply in order to frighten people like yourself. Ave glared back at him. Simple, superstitious people, you mean? Well, we have witnessed what mystics can do. There was one night a long time ago when the sky was ripped open with storms that crashed against our cliffs and almost destroyed our town. It is said that the sorcerers in the tower created the lightning and the fires that set the sea ablaze. This was the beginning of our troubles here in Porto Ecole. The sickness came. It is all down to Count Otto and the great Cagliostro. The doctor frowned at her. I think we'd better help you return home. It's turning cold now. It was true. There was a deathly chill in the breeze coming in from the sea. All the way back I was thinking over what the girl had said. Count Cagliostro. I knew that name. I'd read several tales and legends to do with that particular historical figure, and quite recently, too. During my sleepless nights at Nest Cottage, I had dipped into many of the doctor's old books and read about all sorts of different arcane and forgotten things. But the legend of Count Cagliostro, the seemingly immortal magician, had particularly caught my attention. I racked my brains to recall what I'd learned about him during my nocturnal researches. He was said to be wise and powerful and a great healer. It was claimed that he had solved many mysteries to do with the human mind. Perhaps, and here my heart sped up, just as it had done on those nights in the doctor's library, if Cagliostro was as gifted as people said, perhaps he could do something about the dreams that plagued me. Dreams that I didn't even dare tell the doctor about. I left the doctor staring out to sea on that balmy evening. He was consumed with fascination at the sight of the endless breakers and the sound of the crashing waves in his ears. 
was I thinking of? Drifting away from him like that. All I could think about was that palace on the hill. And this man, this man with healing powers, a man who believed in magic and mysteries. I turned and set off with shaking legs, holding my breath nearly all the way up that hazardous mountain pathway in the dark. You see, the thing was, I didn't want to worry the doctor any more than I had already. He'd had enough to put up with over the years, what with me being possessed by the hornets and going peculiar several times during our past adventures. If I'm honest, I had been at the root of our troubles on a number of occasions. And now, to my horror, I could feel the old trouble coming back. Deirdre Watsit in the village had an ear infection once, and she told me all about it. Too much information, I thought at the time, all that stuff about bacteria and scars inside the inner ear. But now I found I kept thinking about it, thinking that it was just like me and the hornets. They were an infection I'd fought off with the doctor's help, but after they'd been in there scratching away with their tiny sharp feelers, a horrible demon had taken up residence. And then the hornets came back for a while. After all that, the inside of my head felt just like a hollow shell, really. So, full of fear and trepidation for what had been and what might still be to come, off I went to the palace of Count Otto to see what he could do for me. What a foolish old woman I am. The night was balmy, but dark as hell. Down in the bay there was some noise and fuss going on as yet another fishing vessel came into the harbour. By then I was too far away to see what all the hullabaloo was about, but it turned out they were returning with a rather unusual catch. The doctor later told me how he was first on the scene, of course, stomping up the gangplank of the creaking vessel. The sails billowed and the men cried out. The fisherfolk were impressed by his air of natural authority, deferring to him when he demanded to be told about the strange creature they'd captured in their nets that night. The men knew they'd fetch something special up from the depths of the sea. Their catch wriggled and seethed in the silvery nets. Most of it was small fry and eels, but in their midst there lay a monster. Stay back, sir. Keep away from those snapping jaws, cried the sailors. Those gnashing teeth. The doctor was compelled to study the thing. The sailors drew back with a superstitious moan. Is it a special one? Is it an eternal? asked one. Throw it back, implored another. We must take it at once to the Count, one more cried. The doctor blocked out their inanities and stared into the large, unblinking eyes of the sea creature. It was quite still by now. It was suffocating in the night air, and yet somehow it refused to panic. It was a beast of tentacles and coils and spiny fins covered in beautiful, iridescent scales he said it was almost as big as Mike Yates' jeep. It's intelligent, 
the doctor murmured to the fisherman. It's looking back at me as if, as if, as if it knows what its fate is to be, said the captain of the fishing boat. Yes, so the legends about these beasts go. You've seen them before, asked the doctor. I have caught them here several times over the centuries, the captain told him. Centuries? asked the doctor. Um, decades, snapped the captain. I mean decades. Then he looked annoyed. Look, who let you aboard my boat? He started to call out commands. Don't let the thing die. The Count will want it alive, at least to start with. Bring the biggest barrel. The biggest barrel won't contain it, Captain, said a crewman. The captain snod. Well, bring the largest tin hopper we use for the catch. Fill it with brine, but keep this monster alive. Quickly now, or Count Otto will have our heads. The doctor grasped his arm. Tell me, why is this Count of yours so keen on preserving sea life? It's been many years since a beast like this was caught. Everyone knows the Count's decree that if another is landed, it's to be kept alive for him. And these idiots, these fools, have just about slaughtered this one. Look at it. It's a pathetic specimen. But to the doctor, the creature was magnificent. Every scale a perfect, glimmering work of art. And those eyes were shrewd and eloquent. But what on earth was it? The thunderstorm began just as I wandered into the palace. It was a dry, crackling sort of heat that danced through the midnight skies. Thunder rolled around the mountain tops, and there wasn't a single speck of rain. The servants fussed around me wordlessly as I was shown through a procession of gorgeous and gaudy rooms. The walls were painted with religious scenes, angels and cherubs. The colours luminous because of the egg tempura mixed into the paint. The doctor had once explained art history to me on one of our museum visiting trips into the past. All the servants were treating me like I was actually someone of worth. I was glad of a bit of politeness. At last, I was joined by the Count himself. He was tall and exquisitely dressed. Who did he remind me of? Those flowing locks, the porcelain white skin, the burning eyes and frilly billowing shirt and those extremely tight breeches. Lord Byron, wasn't it? I'd had a book about the poets of old when I was a girl. Greetings and felicitations, my bellissima. The nobleman clicked his fingers, demanding wine and sweetmeats and fruit. He was like an emperor in his villa, I thought, as if Rome's fall had never happened. Oh, <laughs> please don't go to any bother, I said. We had some fish stew down at the inn. You ate with the local ruffians, he scoffed. But you must be careful. Sickness is rife down in the village. So we saw, I pursed my lips. And we talked to one or two of them. They told us about you. Oh, yes? He bade me sit and nodded as the servants brought platters of fruit that looked like they'd come from a gorgeous still-life painting. I graciously took a golden goblet. 
and the wine's heady fumes caught my breath. The first few sips made me quite candid. They say, down in the village, that you are a great man, that you studied under the greatest enchanter of this age, and that you have wonderful powers. I was buttering him up shamelessly. Like any vain man, he was purring by the time I'd finished flattering him. It is true, he admitted, toying idly with the pomegranate. The great Cagliostro was my tutor for several years. I was his favorite pupil in Rome and Paris and London. We traveled Europe together and he unveiled many secrets to me. The secrets of life and death, of great wealth and happiness. He faltered for a moment. Why? You have unlocked my tongue, dear lady. Either I am starved of company, or you yourself have powers of your own. To enslave men with your beauty and your charm. Oh, he was an old rogue, this one, I thought. We beamed at each other, and he poured more wine. I listened as it sang into the crystal glasses. The captain of the ship commanded his men to leave the sea beast in its few inches of water in the container aboard the ship. It was to be guarded all night, and in the morning he himself would deliver it to the Count's palace. These things had to be done correctly. The doctor was still loitering about and saying peculiar things. Tie him up, the captain commanded, and he watched the sailors lash the doctor to the mainsail. The outlandish stranger protested, but they just laughed at him. Soon, all the sailors were ashore and lighting up the taverns of the town. They snaffled down their suppers and drank rough ale and soon forgot about the day's unusual catches. And the doctor was left in the company of the serpent. Even his sonic screwdriver won't work on tarred rope and wood. The most primitive bonds are the most effective. He's often told me that. He sighed and listened as the sea serpent slithered about in its watery prison. He couldn't see it, but he got a sense of its bulk stirring listlessly in the warm water. He must be terrified, he thought. A beautiful creature like that must surely be from the very depths of the sea. There it was now languishing in a few inches of brine and at the mercy of ruffians. All the doctor could do was speak soothingly to the beast. I won't let them harm you, he promised rashly. That's very kind of you, the sea monster replied, to his considerable surprise. Its voice was mellifluous and extremely calm. Telepathy, the doctor wondered. Was it transmitting its words directly into his Time Lord brain? He couldn't be sure. You can communicate, he gasped delightedly. Oh, yes, indeed, said the creature. And I really must thank you for your concern, doctor. When I was ensnared in the fisherfolk's nets, I thought I had met my doom. But now I see... I still have a chance. The doctor longed to free himself of his bonds and to peer over the sides of that container, 
and to take another look at this fabulous beast. His mind was racing. Could it be some kind of survivor from prehistoric times? An ichthyosaur, perhaps? Or maybe a hitherto unknown form of deep-sea life? I am the last of my kind, sighed the serpent. I have searched the seas for many years, and I know now that there are none of my species left. We have been slaughtered by the people here. Over generations they have sought us, caught us, and eaten us. We are a great delicacy to the people of this town, and tomorrow my bones will join those of my ancestors, and that will be that. The doctor was appalled. They've made you extinct? To be fair, there were only a handful of us in the first instance, said the serpent. The legends about our kind made us highly prized by the primitive folk of this region. They think that by eating our flesh they may receive wonderful powers. The doctor tossed his head. People will believe all sorts of nonsense. The serpent hissed. There is some truth behind their beliefs. We have about us a certain energy that we ourselves draw from our home. We live deep in this harbour and can never leave the source of our power. It is our mother's ship. Ship, eh? The doctor said. A sailing ship? A sunken wreck? All at once the image that filled his mind showed him that it was a ship that had come a much further distance, a spaceship, bristling with leaking radiation deep below the bay. This energy of ours is what the local people have benefited from also, said the serpent. And suddenly he started to thrash about agitatedly. They're going to kill me. They're going to boil me alive. They're going to spear me and chop me into pieces. Indeed they would, the doctor thought gloomily. The people here had no idea that this creature was intelligent. How could he convince them? They are taking you to the Count in the morning, he told the serpent. Perhaps he will listen if I explain... I have heard of the Count in this town, said the serpent. He is wicked. He has no mercy. All he thinks about is what he stands to gain. No, I am doomed, Doctor. And so are you. I was shown to a room that was quite a bit more luxurious than I was used to at Nest Cottage. On the other hand, the plumbing facilities were shockingly primitive. But beggars can't be choosers. The soft furnishings were just lovely. I'd never really seen such splendour before. I felt like I was in a fairy tale. Except the Count was no kind of beast. He was a proper gentleman, I must say. But I couldn't just go to sleep and get some decent rest, could I? No, instead I lay there, wide awake. My head was spinning round, partly with the excitement, but also due to a sense of foreboding. 
I knew that my usual nightmares were lurking just around the corner. I could almost hear them already whispering and waiting till I drifted off. So I lay awake instead, listening to the sounds of the palace. Strange footsteps and voices, heavy doors softly closing, murmured secrets, low voices, sinister stuff. I lay there shivering and cursed myself for a fool. How many times before had I wandered away from the doctor and got myself into bother like this? <sighs> I reckoned he must be worried sick about me, probably out combing the coastline for me at that very moment. I lay there and tried to block all the nocturnal noises out, but they kept niggling away at me. This time it wasn't in my head or my imagination. Yet it was on the very edges of my hearing. I got out of bed and wrapped a gorgeous silk dressing gown around my thin old frame. I stepped into a pair of soft feathery slippers and tiptoed out into the quiet, empty stone corridor. There was no one about, yet I could definitely hear voices. One was a conniving, chuckling kind of voice and the other was that of Count Otto. They were in a room further along the corridor. I distinctly heard them use my name. I crept around corners. I clung to swagged curtains. I craned my neck, and I came at last upon the Count's inner sanctum. The door was ajar, soft candlelight within. He was kneeling before a kind of golden shrine. I gasped and held my breath. The grand and elegant Count was kneeling in front of an altar, as if he was praying to some sort of god. A god who was talking back to him, giving him commands. I fought down my panic and listened hard. I squinted my tired eyes, trying to make out some movement on the altar. As I got my focus, I realized what hideous thing I was looking at. You were right, Otto, the little creature snickered. I find what you're saying most interesting. Oh, I am glad, the Count beamed. Anything to please my master. Don't overdo it, snapped the being in the golden shrine. This whimsy woman is an interesting proposition, an excellent catch. You have done well. It was plain that this tiny deity was actually a horrible, wizened little monkey. Its limbs twitched spasmodically. It was moving in its seat quite unnaturally. Its eyes were dark and its mouth was... <gasps> horrifically, impossibly... stitched up. It looked like a horrid, hairy cadaver and yet its evil presence seemed to fill that entire room. I feel that there is something special about her, Count Otto said. I think you're right, agreed the monkey god. I must admit that even in the circumstances, my foolish heart fluttered with pride to hear this. She brings with her a strange magic of her own, Otto went on. I sense within her a history of 
evil emanations, terrible thoughts, presences from another time and another place. She has an interesting past. This I wasn't quite so keen on hearing. Count Otto had put his elegant finger on the source of my nightmares and my deepest fears. Was I so transparent? Could these people really see that I had wicked things inside me? She will repay for the study, agreed the wrinkled creature. And look, there she is, the woman herself, watching us from the doorway, hiding in the folds of the curtains. What? cried the Count. Mrs. Wibsey, are you there? Shamefacedly, I had to admit that I was. The tiny golden god cackled at me as I shuffled forward in my borrowed night things. Come before me, my dear. Come before the eyes of Cagliostro. The following morning dawned bright and clear. The howling winds of the previous night were soon forgotten and there was a new optimism and cheerfulness about the small fishing village. Word had gone round about the miraculous catch. It's true, it's true, the captain laughed as his fellow townsfolk came to the dock to see for themselves. We have landed another of the enchanted serpents, the like of which hasn't been seen here for so many years. <laughs> the last of the serpents, thought the doctor gloomily, if what his new friend had told him was true. As the brine-filled tank was set upon a wooden-wheeled wagon and rolled down the gangplank onto the dock, cheers were ringing out. The doctor shouted at them all as he was led ashore in primitive shackles. Leave him alone, you fools, don't you see? If you harm him, you'll be committing genocide. You'll be driving a beautiful species to extinction. The captain and the others jeered at him. How do you know anything about it? They mocked. Why? Because I spoke to him, said the doctor. The villagers roared at this. You spoke with him? <laughs> Why? <laughs> you must be a magician yourself, then. Count Otto will want to meet you. And so the doctor was dragged along with the carriage. Just another prize for the fishermen to bring before their princely lord. Up the winding, narrow pathways to the palace they rolled while ignorant celebrants lined the roadsides crying out and clapping. Water sloshed over the wagon's sides as the terrible serpent fulminated and fought against his incarceration. I will help you, the doctor promised telepathically. I'm sure I can convince this Count Otto person that you mustn't be harmed. But the serpent was going out of his mind with despair. No, no. There is no hope now. They will feed off my flesh. They will eat my skin, my scales, and all of my bones. They know I will bring them longer lives. What? scoffed the doctor. These are merely primitive superstitions. No, doctor. The sea creature's words echoed inside his head. It is all quite true. Eating my flesh will grant human beings extra years alive. And at last they came to the palace on the mountainside. The grand doors opened and the captain led a procession of his sailors into the courtyard, pulling the wagon with them. Then the count was greeting them. 
He wore luxurious robes and looked like a god, strutting about and congratulating them on their catch. After so many years, he beamed. A deadly creature from the darkest depths, Captain. I congratulate you on your courage. The serpent lashed out with its darting neck and flashing teeth, and Count Otto cried out in fright. Ha! laughed the doctor. Courageous, you're all terrified of the handsome beast. He'd make mincemeat of the lot of you if he was given half a chance. Count Otto frowned darkly at the bound Time Lord. And who is this person? The captain stepped forward. This stranger claims he can talk with the serpent count. He says he communed with the beast all last night. At this there was a murmur of laughter from both the sailors and the count's own servants. Enough, cried the count. He glared at the doctor. Is this true? But the doctor didn't hear what the Count was saying. He was staring past him to the figures watching from the periphery of the scene. Most of them were servants, but among them was a familiar figure dressed in sumptuous robes that, believe it or not, actually suited her. It was me, all dolled up, hair pinned up rather fetchingly. And I had on a sparkling diadem and an ermine collar. Mrs. Wibsey? Heavens to Betsy, woman, what are you doing? The doctor broke free from his guard and strode across to me. I wondered where you'd wandered off to. I stepped forward, falteringly. All eyes were suddenly upon me. Doctor? <laughs> Why have they got you all tied up like that? What have you gone and done now? Done? He cried. I've done nothing. It's just that this lot are rapscallions and villainous curs, and I've fallen foul of them. But what about you, Wibsy? You look rather at home, my dear. I blushed, and the Count himself roared with laughter. We've made her very welcome here. He growled. She is a wonderful woman. A very special woman. She is indeed, said the doctor in a low and dangerous voice. Wibsy, what have you told them? I, I don't know exactly. The, um, the Count's very persuasive, I said. The wine they gave me was quite powerful, I think. My mouth ran off ahead of me. I, I don't know what I said exactly. Count Otto said, Mrs. Wibsey has revealed that she comes from another time, another place, far from here, and that she was brought here by a sorcerer who possesses a cabinet of magical possibilities. <laughs> Would that happen to be you, by any chance? The doctor looked furious. No, it would not. I've never heard such nonsense. That woman is my housekeeper, and we were on the road to Rome, where we'll be spending the summer. She's obviously had a knock on the head or something. Suddenly, I darted forward and whispered, Doctor, it's all right. You must trust the Count. He's a good man, a kind man. <laughs> the thing is, he's got 
wonderful magical powers and he can help me. Help you? was the doctor's cross, sardonic reply. How exactly can he help you? I smiled, feeling hopeful. He says he can take away the voices in my head. He can take away my madness and my demons. He can banish them forever with his magic. I took a step closer to the smug-looking Count. Isn't that wonderful news? Fenella, 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 what on earth had I gone and done now? Why couldn't I just have stayed by the doctor's side? Why had I gone and got myself embroiled? Oh, it's a good word, embroiled. Makes you think of cooking something in a great big pot of stew, doesn't it? Oh, no wonder I'm using it then. Because the next thing was, the cook and an army of staff were summoned up from the palace kitchens. In they came, dragging a vast iron cooking pot. So many years since we boiled the whole serpent, said Count Otto hungrily. Just then, seeing how manic and strange he'd suddenly turned, I, I did start to wonder if I'd judged him correctly. The doctor was beside himself with fury as the cook's helpers lit a bonfire in the middle of the courtyard and set the watery stock to boil. No, I cannot allow this. Then he stared very intently at the Count. Tell me, how long is it since you last cooked and ate one of these marvellous beasts? The Count shrugged and rolled his eyes as if such piffling matters were hardly his concern. Fifty? Hundred years? Something like that. There was a general muttering of consensus from the people around him. I remember it well, said a middle-aged-looking woman. It was in that great June heatwave, recalled a decidedly youthful man. Fifty or a hundred years, and yet you all remember it, gasped the doctor. So then, it's true. Something in these creatures' flesh can sustain human life for decades. Suddenly there was a gasp of terror from all the servants as the serpent suddenly began to rise up taller than its wagon, summoning all its remaining strength and breaking the bonds that held it down, the creature reared and undulated above them all, bearing its glittering fangs. It is all true, Doctor, it told him, sending the words directly into his mind. I am a great prize to these primitive beings. They are desperate now. Think of the sickness rife in this place. My flesh would restore them all to health and allow them to live for perhaps a hundred years more. I am doomed. I shall simply surrender myself. I won't allow that, the doctor said grimly. He turned abruptly round to the Count. Will you spare this rare and mysterious creature if I let you borrow my TARDIS? Count Otto looked blank. Your what? My cabinet of magical possibilities, said the doctor, with menacing calm. Oh, said the Count, suddenly looking greedy for more than the flesh of serpents. Wait till you see his master, 
I whispered in his ear. It's a horrible little monkey thing. The doctor chuckled. <laughs> I don't scare easily. But he pulled a disgusted face when he went into the inner sanctum and saw for himself the mummified homunculus that Count Otto worshipped. Hello? What manner of creature are you? gasped the Time Lord, approaching cautiously. Close to, it was easy to see that the little beast was an old, moth-eaten cadaver, twitching and quivering with supernatural life. It's possessed the doctor thought, by a vast and malign intelligence. I am Cagliostro, the famed sorcerer, came a voice much larger than the monkey puppet in the shrine. I believe you will have heard of me. <laughs> oh, yes, chuckled the doctor. Your fame has spread down the ages. Cagliostro, the charlatan, the deluded fool. The man who thought he was possessed of all the Earth's secrets and who managed to convince half the world of his magical abilities. <laughs> I'm afraid none of that impresses me. Indeed, Doctor, simpered the desiccated Simeon, apparently unabashed. Mrs. Wibsey has told us all about you, about your own magical abilities and your battles with demonic forces. Demonic poppycock, the doctor snapped. Fenella Wibsey comes from an age as dark with superstition as your own. I flinched at this, feeling slighted by the doctor's tone. Where are you calling from, Cagliostro, he sneered. I can see you're not really here. This poor, stuffed cretin isn't you. You're merely throwing your voice like a cheap stage ventriloquist. I am in Paris. I've made my home in the old city, surrounded by my books of magical lore. I've recently come into possession of the Philosopher's Stone, you'll be interested to hear. I stole it from my friend, Nicholas Flamel, who is almost as old as I am and lives a few doors away. Ours is an island of magicians in the heart of old Paris. You're insane said the doctor, in a very dark tone. There are no such things as philosopher's stones or elixirs of youth. You've learned a few nifty parlor tricks, such as making this poor dead monkey dance. But I'm still not terribly impressed, I'm afraid. Doctor, you're making him furious, I hissed, as the monkey puppet jerked and hopped inside the glowing golden shrine. Behind them, Count Otto was grimacing with anger and reaching for his sword. Yes, it's one of my favorite tricks, Mrs. Wibsey. Surely you haven't forgotten, my dear? How I love to annoy bullies and tyrants and get them all whipped up in a fury. That's when they overplay their hand and give themselves away. Show us this cabinet of yours, shouted Cagliostro's primate. Only if you free the serpent back into the sea, said the doctor, and allow Mrs. Wibsey to go free. Otto laughed at this. His master shrieked. What? <laughs> Never! Why should we accede to any of your demands? What power do you hold? None at all, the doctor snapped. What would I want with power? It turns people peculiar makes them do very strange things. 
Count Otto stepped forward, and the blade of his sword flashed out. It stopped dead, poised at the doctor's throat. Ah, said the doctor. You are powerless, Count Otto said, and so you will show us this cabinet of yours. You don't even know what it can do, the doctor said very quietly, his breath misting the cold steel of the Count's sword. Ah, but we do, said Cagliostro. Your Mrs. Wibsey told us it travels in time and space. She was quite a fountain of information. I hung my head in misery. Why did I always have to speak out of turn? Count Otto said, we want you to take us back in time. Two hundred years. Quick as a flash, they were all organizing a kind of procession down from the palace to the seafront where the TARDIS was waiting. Count Otto had a sumptuous carriage, of course, and he asked the doctor and me to ride with him. But the doctor said we'd be quite happy walking. I was certain I didn't want to sit behind the curtains with the Count in his carriage, no matter how comfy it looked. I seemed to have come to my senses since the doctor had turned up at the castle. There were guards all around us, as well as around the rolling wagon thing on which they'd put the serpent in his tank. Why two hundred years? The doctor wondered aloud. What was happening back then? Well, I didn't know for sure. Clearly the demented Count Otto has something terrible planned, he mused as we walked along. Is he really demented, do you think? I asked. Setting him loose among the timelines isn't something I relish, the doctor sighed heavily. Or oh, that nasty monkey of his. Pointedly, he added, still, we are where we are. I was feeling rather got at. I'm sorry, doctor. I'm afraid my mouth ran away with me, but I must admit I've been feeling peculiar lately, almost as if I wasn't quite right. In the head, you know. Nonsense, snapped the doctor. You're the sanest person I've ever met. Yes, but I've been thinking there might be something going wrong with me again. I've been having these dreams, you see, and I'm sure there's a buzzing in my head. He glared at me. Surely not. Please don't say you're experiencing an infestation again, Mrs. Wibsey. I gulped. I hope not. I hope not too, my dear, but let's tackle one problem at a time, eh? He suddenly beamed at me. But really, I can't see anything wrong with you. In fact, I've never seen you looking so healthy and well. <laughs> Living in the past seems to agree with you. The doctor didn't say anything else until we reached the small harbour village. I got the feeling that he was silently communing with that ferocious sea beast in the wagon. The Count's servants and horses had been put to work pulling its carriage down to the harbour, and lastly came the rather more plush transport bringing up the rear of the bizarre procession. Count Otto lay behind satin curtains along with his wizened homunculus. It isn't magic, of course, said the doctor, apropos of nothing, once we were back in the village, where the peasants were moaning and looking even seedier than they had the previous evening. 
A horrible miasma of sickness and nastiness hung in the air, thick as sea mist. Pardon? I asked. This business of the flesh of the sea serpent and its life-giving properties. I imagine there's something very particular in its very makeup that has an unusual effect on human biology. I tutted. Oh, it might as well be magic, though, eh? As far as this lot are concerned. All eyes were on the wagon as it was dragged through the cobbled lanes. Fisher folk were coming out of their dark dwellings to see what the parade was all about. It wasn't every day that Count Otto's carriage was seen out and about. The air started to ring with rumour and speculation. Hey! I heard one voice shout. They say the Count has caught another of the eternal serpents. They say it's a whopper this time. Has he cooked it yet? Is he going to share his good fortune with us? Will he defy his master, as the legend has it, and share the sacred flesh once more? Have the good times come again to our town? I think they're going to be disappointed, the doctor said grimly. Poor things, I said. What? gasped the doctor. These people have already extended their lives beyond all natural expectations. And have you noticed there are no children in this village? Whatever it is in the flesh of these near-extinct creatures that bestows life, it also ironically makes everyone sterile, some kind of alien radiation from their crashed spaceship, I shouldn't wonder, going by what the serpent told me earlier. That's why his people were stuck here by this harbour and never moved away. Most interesting and dangerous. Mm. And also, it's about time it was stopped. Count Otto stuck his head out between the curtains and demanded to know where the doctor's cabinet of possibilities was located. You said it was in the village, he snarled. A little further, along the beach there, said the doctor, who was walking just a little way ahead of me. He frowned deeply at the Count. He wasn't very impressed by him at all. Then we were down on the rocky beach, and the doctor's mind seemed to be racing. What chance would he stand in a punch-up with all the Count's servants? Could he somehow take charge of that wagon and manoeuvre the sea beast back into the water? But the beach looked shallow for miles. If the locals all started attacking it, the serpent would no doubt fight back, and a bloodbath was the last thing the doctor wanted to cause. Behold, he announced as we came within view of the TARDIS, my cabinet... It was nestled amongst hunks of dark, jagged rock and patches of oily-looking seaweed. Oh, but it looked so homely and friendly all of a sudden. Count Otto hopped down from his carriage. In his arms he was carrying a tiny figure swaddled in gold cloth. A hideous monkey's head was poking out, squinting in the bright sunshine. And can it really travel in time? he screeched. Mrs. Wibsey wasn't just making it up. The doctor nodded and sighed. Oh, yes, indeed. Time travel's quite mundane to me, I'm afraid. I've been to most times and places by now. I can go anywhere in my mind, said Cagliostro's ape, but never through the veil of time, never backwards. Can you take us back? 
200 years to the night of the special experiments that Count Otto and I were carrying out, back to the time when these serpents first became plentiful in the sea. Oh, that's what you want, said the doctor ruefully. I offer you all the wisdom of the lords of time at your fingertips, and all you want is better fishing. He patted the side of the wagon. Don't you listen to him. But the serpent was listening, and he murmured telepathically to the doctor, Cagliostro's plan is marvelous. If I could swim into the past, all my people would still be alive. I could be with my own kind. It seemed to trust me, because ever since the procession, I'd been privy to their conversations too. Yes, indeed, said the doctor, a little taken aback. There is that, of course. Two hundred of their years. That's when our ship crash-landed here. Which reminds me, replied the doctor. I don't recognize your species, I'm afraid. We are the serpents of the planet Ouroboros. The Kepera, the voice explained. Then, the serpent projected an image into the doctor's mind of the journey his people's ship had made across the galaxy. An elegant sketch of a terribly long and difficult odyssey through the stars. The doctor whistled his approval. Meanwhile, the serpent's imagination had rushed ahead. Doctor, what if you could prevent our crash landing? Our ship's controls went haywire. We were struck by lightning as we skimmed the upper atmosphere. That tower on the mountain top was emanating fierce electromagnetic lightning. The doctor shook his head. I can't go that far. I'm loath to fiddle with history. But I will do my utmost to make sure that you and as many of your fellows as possible manage to survive. Thank you, Doctor. The Doctor broke out of his trance with a smile. Count Otto! Galliostro! He made an elaborate bow. This is your lucky day. Prepare yourselves for the journey of a lifetime. He unlocked the doors of the TARDIS for the great show of ceremony. At first, I thought he was laying it on a bit thick, but I recognized the wild look in his eyes. He had a plan of some kind, or something clever up that sleeve of his. He winked at me broadly as he ushered his noble enemies through the battered blue doors. It was quite possibly the most bizarre journey I ever made in that blue box. Not least because it was so cram-packed inside the console room. The doctor had materialized the TARDIS around the sea serpent's carriage. It lay coiled there, fascinated by all the technology around it. Thank you for trying to save me, Doctor. Mrs. Wibsey, it said. The doctor was grinning as he adjusted the controls. Don't thank us for the moment. We haven't saved anybody yet. He cast a quick glance at Count Otto, who stood clutching Cagliostro's monkey puppet across the other side of the console room. They both seemed stunned into silence by their new and impossible surroundings. In fact, the shabby homunculus seemed particularly quiet. 
It was slumped in Count Otto's arms. I peered more closely. Why, it looked rather as if it was just an empty shell again. And that was the moment when I realised I could detect another presence in my mind. Ho, 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 ho! Cagliostro was laughing at me. He was inside my head. I can only travel through time with the rest of you if I am inside the living mind, Madame Whimsy. <laughs> he chuckled. I hope you do not object. <laughs> he laughed again, and I was struggling to cry out, to call to the doctor, help! All they've done for two centuries is hunt us down, the serpent was saying. I've had so long alone on this coastline, dreaming of our home world and plotting revenge. Revenge is such an awful thing, said the doctor, and invariably disappointing for everyone involved. Exactly, said the serpent. When it came to it, and I was among the humans at last, and I could have killed some of them, I couldn't bring myself to do it. What are they, after all? Just ignorant creatures trying to live. I was simply prey to them, that's all. Did I ever worry about the small fry and sprats I've lived off in the sea? Hmm. He mulled this one over. A little, perhaps. Now the time rotor was plunging up and down and the TARDIS lights blinked, indicating we were in flight. I saw Count Otto clutching the dead monkey tighter, alarmed by the wheezing and groaning noises that filled the air. Oh, what kind of demonic engines are these? Cagliostro howled inside my head. I can feel the time winds whistling through the room. I can feel us moving back through time. The police box materialized in the middle of a storm, bobbing about somewhere in the middle of the sea, in the middle of the night, in the middle of the 1600s. We're in the middle of everything, warned the doctor in apocalyptic tones. We stared eagerly out at the rain-lashed images on the scanner screen. Lightning flashed and crashed across skies as dark as octopus ink. The night of your experiments, the doctor told Count Otto. What were you working on, by the way? Galvanism and transmogrification, said Otto. It was the very night we managed to harness the power of the storm and channel Cagliostro's mind through the ether across the continent of Europe. Only to house it inside a dead monkey, the doctor grinned. What a marvelously worthy experiment that was. <laughs> And in the process, you doomed these alien passers-by to a watery existence on this planet. The TARDIS is on its side, he added. I've recalibrated our interior, so you might feel discombobulated when we go outside. We emerged into an elemental maelstrom. The storm was at its height. 
exacerbated by the flashing lights and noise from the tower above the bay. The waves loomed above the seemingly fragile police box as it bobbed about in the dark, churning surf. The noise all around us was indescribable. Suddenly, we were all outside the TARDIS. The Count and I clinging as tightly as we could to the wooden corners of the police box and holding on for dear life. The Doctor, meanwhile, was somehow standing on the threshold in the full force of the storm with his ludicrous scarf writhing around him. Doctor! I called out, fearing we were all going to drown. In one vast silvery blur, the serpent dived out of the tank through the TARDIS doors and past the Doctor, the magnificent beast plunged into the broiling depths. Look, cried the Doctor, just as a savage onslaught of lightning flashed from Otto's palace into the skies. The cloud cover broke apart and revealed the beautiful spectre of a spacecraft. It was needle-sharp, bucking and weaving through the turbulent atmosphere. It's going to crash, I cried. Yes, yes, Doctor called back glumly. Time rolls on as it did and as it must. But at least our friend will be able to join his fellows. He's going to meet his ancestors. Hanging on for dear life beside me, Count Otto looked deranged and confused. His ermine and velvet robes were sodden with seawater. The weight of the many jewels he wore seemed about to drag him down into the depths. Are we really back in time? To the night I brought the heavenly serpents out of the sky and made the great Cagliostro my puppet? Yes, indeed, the doctor shouted. Cagliostro heard this and suddenly his words came bursting out of my mouth. Your puppet, sir, I shrieked. Your master! You are my apprentice! I am your god! Both the doctor and Count Otto stared at me in horror. Whipsy! gasped the doctor, jumping down to sit on the frame of the TARDIS next to me. Count Otto realized immediately what Cagliostro had done. He laughed nastily. I am through with worshipping you, Cagliostro. I have all your secrets. I have everything now. Oh, dear, the doctor said. Treacherous souls. We don't even have to defeat them. You just take them to the edge of the abyss and they defeat each other every time. <laughs> he peered at me closely. Whimsy, are you all right? We could have everything, Cagliostro shrieked in my voice. The serpents have arrived yet again. This time we know their wonderful secret from the outset. We can husband our resources more cleverly. We could live forever, Otto, don't you see? Together. Count Otto cried out, Not this time. I am free of your malign, repugnant influence. Farewell, Cagliostro. Meanwhile, the doctor was staring into my eyes. Cast him out, Whips. You have a supremely strong mind after everything you've faced. Cast him out of your mind and into Count Otto's. What? I gasped. The cacophony of noise whipping up inside my head was far greater than the storm raging around us. I can't, 
You can, Mrs. Whipsy! bellowed the doctor with absolute faith in my abilities. I stared up at Count Otto, and for a second he was illuminated brilliantly against the night sky. I pushed with all my might and forced Cagliostro to leave the deepest recesses of my soul. Also, the doctor pointed out, that spaceship is about to crash land. There's going to be a rather loud explosion. Suddenly, the noise was everywhere, and for a few blessed moments, it blotted out all the voices in my head. I looked at Count Otto in the very instant that the serpent reared out of the water once more. In that split second, I recognized Cagliostro staring out of his handsome eyes. Then I saw the vicious glee in the serpent's own alien eyes as it snatched the horrid man in its jaws. And then they were all gone beneath the magnificent swell of the waves. Oh, the monkey puppet. What about him? I gasped. But there was no sign of the monkey either. And suddenly, there was a blissful silence in my mind. Cagliostro was gone, and so were all the other dark echoes and all my silly self-doubts. We struggled back into the TARDIS, and just as the Doctor shut the doors behind us, the serpent starship came screaming out of the skies, turning the sea into hissing steam and raising a fog that would last for several days. Soon, the TARDIS was hurtling headlong through the vortex on its way back to Nest Cottage. I'm completely soaked through, the doctor grinned, unwinding his soggy scarf. He noticed the look on my face. What's the matter, Wibbs? I felt as if someone had sucked my brains out with a straw and then blown them back in again. What happened to me? I said, my voice thin and small. How did he take me over? The real Cagliostro was in Paris, remember? Projecting his thoughts across to Italy using dark alchemy. He knew he wouldn't be able to travel in the TARDIS, so he projected a shadow of himself, all his willpower and ambition into a living, thinking vehicle. You! Then you forced him out into Count Otto, who was promptly eaten by the serpent. <laughs> I believe they call it poetic justice. He noticed my concerned face. Don't worry, he's no longer in your thoughts. Perhaps not, I said. But he's still at large, isn't he? In Paris, in the 1800s, still doing magic and horrible experiments? I expect so, smiled the doctor. I always had a feeling he was something of a villain. I wonder whether, now that he knows what a marvellous opponent I am, he'll come knocking at our door again. Well, I'm ready for him, shabby old enchanter that he is. He said some wicked things to me, told me I was evil, 
And when he was inside my mind, oh, it was horrible. The doctor spoke soothingly. There is no evil in you, Mrs. Whipsey. You're no longer in danger from alien influences taking over your soul. All that buzzing you kept hearing, it was just your imagination. Or tinnitus. You must believe me, you're a good woman. His hands moved automatically across the control panels, guiding us home. I had just one final question for him. Doctor, how did you know I needed your help? That is why you came to visit, isn't it? He avoided my eyes, wrapped up in steering his vehicle. I have ways and means, Mrs. Wibsey, was all he'd say. Just because I'm not there doesn't mean I stop caring. We've had some fine adventures together, you and me. Although I do think that Nest Cottage is the safest place for you to be. And the TARDIS turned head over heels through the vortex until arriving back in time for supper. Doctor Who, The Thing from the Sea, by Paul Mars, was read by Susan Jameson. It is published by BBC Worldwide. Audible hopes you've enjoyed this program.